Hello, and welcome back to the Stakes After Dark. Sad! The acronym is gloomy, but our hearts are not. This is our ninth show in two weeks, and there's a tenth show dropping tomorrow. And if we remain upright for the remainder of this podcast, my co-pilot and I will have survived this entire miniseries. It's okay if you weren't betting on us. Lord knows we weren't betting on ourselves. Joining me here in our New York studio to bask in our presumed survival, our DC correspondent, the glorious Jane Coaston. Hi, Jane. Hi, Holly. How are you? I can see through time. How are you? I don't know really where I am. When I close my eyes, the walls begin crawling with spiders and snakes. Is that bad? Mm, Well, check back tomorrow. The night's young. It's true. So the great thing about tonight, apart from having survived both conventions, is that our path forward in terms of what we have to discuss is A, pretty clear, uh, at least for tonight, and B, new in several exciting ways. So let's get right into some of the highlights. So Hills, bask in the womaninity spelled with a whole bunch of Ys. It was a speech. Um for I her, th- that was really good. For her, that was really good. And I think this sounds t- mean. We're not no, being mean. No, she's not. She's not a talker. No, she's not an orator. But her PowerPoint presentations must be on fire. And she had. She was set up with as many you know alley oop passes as she could have possibly asked for from the entire rest of the Democratic bench. Uh, to say nothing of people not on the Democratic bench, uh, President Obama, Vice President Biden, and for her, that was about the ceiling. Exactly. We've had a lot of talk about ceilings this week. Here is Hillary speaking ceiling. It was adequate, and that sounds like a backhanded compliment, but it's not. This is just not her thing. It's true. Also, it seemed that the entire speech was aimed at personally irritating Donald Trump, which is not challenging. His aides are hiding so many devices from him right now. Oh, they are... So apparently he just tweeted, and it does not sound like it was from him. It does not... Tomorrow. I went and looked right before we got into the studio. He had sent out a couple. Uh, he did not send any out while uh, I could that I could see while her address was going on tonight. But he had a couple that were just very, they were kind of grumbly platitudes, which means they definitely didn't sound like they were coming from him. No. I just, I am picturing this poor intern, you know, who has a communications degree from Northwestern and who wanted to make a difference in the GOP and is now charged with changing Donald Trump's password 37 times a day. I feel like Paul Manafort has turned off the Wi-Fi wherever they are like three times today. Oh, the Internet's down. We just we'll get working on that. Yeah. So let's let's not let's not swing too much toward uh, his Trumpkins just yet. I find myself, and maybe this is a compliment and I can't decide, not so much basking in the history of this moment, even though like logically I know I should. My heart's not like, wow, a lady. And I I know that you're feeling the same way. Let's unpack that a little bit. Well, it just seems there's something about Hillary in some ways that has an air of inevitability. Kind of like, you know, if you see a ship coming towards you from far away, and then you turn around and you turn back and the ship is still coming. Like, eventually it'll get to you. Yeah. And so I think that this is something that she personally has been preparing herself for for decades. And so I think it is a historic moment. But I also think that in some ways it would have been more surprising if it wasn't someone named Hillary Clinton. Like if the first major party female nominee was 
if it had been, in fact, Elizabeth Warren, or if it had been someone else, that I think would be more surprising. But if you told me, you know, even 12 years ago or something like that, at some point Hillary Clinton is going to be the Democratic Party nominee, I'm not surprised. Yeah, sure. Which is, you know, not to say that I'm not enjoying it conceptually, but it's more on a left brain level than on a right brain, like explosions in the sky kind of level. Right. Like I've, I've talked about this before about how I empathize on some level with both Hillary and Ted Cruz way down in my lizard brain uh, because they are lizard people and I see aspects of my worst selves in both of them. But I said this earlier tonight, I, you know, it's a great moment if you consider yourself a little bit of a Tracy Flick and Hillary is a big bit of a Tracy Flick. And for that, I'm like, good on you, ruthless sister. Agreed. And especially because her speech, you know, we've been talking the last couple of days about how we wanted to hear more policy. Well, her speech was basically, I like talking about policy. Here are some of my ideas. I have more ideas. Would you like to hear more of my ideas? I'll tell you a little bit about them. Finally, literally binders full of women comes into play. Indeed. And I think that there is something to be said there. And she kept really going after Donald Trump for not really having a plan, for just being full of empty promises, for not being someone you could trust with nuclear codes. Whereas, you know, I think Hillary really recognized that one of her strengths and weaknesses is that she seems like someone who's very practiced, pragmatic, and planned. Well, in comparison to Donald Trump, I think a lot of people will take that. Yeah. the My favorite moment was watching her. I don't even remember what she was talking about, but it was just a, a, a face to the crowd and a, no, Donald, that's not how it works, with the air of infinite patience born of being a woman who probably had to tell Bill 10 or 12 times that he could not install a water slide at the governor's mansion. Indeed. Like, you know, she's had practice. Like, Lord love a dumb, cute man. She's had practice at this. With many dumb, cute men. Yeah. Not that Donald Trump is... Well, he's not cute. And I was going to say, he's not really dumb either, but he's not smart. I think he's canny like a raccoon. Right. Like... He's really, really good at getting into your trash. Exactly. But, and then just but if you it put everywhere. something shiny in a trap, he's fucked. It's true. Okay, raccoon smarts, Donald Trump. Exactly. And speaking of Donald Trump and the party, I still can't quite believe he purportedly now leads. Uh, hey, that's a nice big tent the Democrats are pitching in a shining city on a hill there. It was amazing. You know, I joked very much it was a Blues Brothers mind if I dance with you date kind of moment because it just seemed to be like, hey, are you a middle of the road Republican? Are you an independent? Do you feel kind of weird about this Donald Trump guy? Then do we have a party for you? And it just, you know, I think that it's something that if you are hard leftist, this probably turned you off. But most people aren't. I think that that's been one of the things that we've learned from this convention and I've just been observing from online and talking to people is that I think that a lot of times people who tend to be more liberal are also the same people who are using social media the most. And I think that that in, t- in some ways makes you overestimate how many of you there are. It's like Florida State football. Right. There aren't that many Knowles. They're not that rich. It's true. Yeah. But I do think that you know, having even Michael Bloomberg speaking and having the Republicans who spoke today and having so many members of the military speaking, that really is going to speak to people who are, you know, I've been seeing so many tweets today of people who are like, yeah, my dad's a Republican, but he doesn't really know about this. It was aimed at everybody's dad. 
And if you can get somebody's dad or mom in like suburban Missouri, that's that's the election right there. And I think that, you know, for a lot of people who are further left, I think the platform itself offers something. I was going to say, yeah, Bernie did get a lot of concessions for the progressive movement, you know, in the party platform that was presented. But the convention is not for... No. It's not for us. It's not for members of the left. It's for my mom, my dad. It's for people who are kind of like, I don't know about this. But if you watch tonight and we're kind of a middling, you know, you voted for Romney, but you voted for Obama the time before that, this is the night for you. And there are a lot of those people. She's not aiming at that, you know, the... 15% 15% to the very far left or the 15% to the very far right. She wants that 70% all across the middle. And God help them, the GOP handed that to her. On a platter, like a sandwich. With Donald Trump roasted to a crisp with a little apple in his weird mouth. Very true. Oh, uh, let's talk about some of those people that were up on stage for her tonight. One of my personal favorites was John Allen. Uh, the retired four-star general who is the only person throughout both conventions who can credibly scream into a microphone and make it sound normal. And I was talking about this on Twitter tonight, and I got a message from a woman who works for him, and she said, uh, yeah, heads up, that's his natural speaking voice. I believe this completely. The man's a Marine. I uh, I have a friend um, who was on Twitter also who it was a former Marine and mentioned that uh, – John Allen ran basic training at the camp where he trained at, and that's that's what he's like all the time. Yeah. So and that guy is standing up to cast his vote and his full-throated support, and that's a considerable throat for a lady Democrat for president. Yep. It's like 2004, only it's not. <laughs> I also want to quickly mention that uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar introduced um, that segment and I really liked his joke about saying that he was Michael Jordan because Donald Trump wouldn't be able to tell the difference. He was really pretty waving the flag, too. He's kind of bemused. And <sighs> uh, but the most powerful moment tonight, I think, by far, you know, there were there were some affecting speeches and some affecting moments. No moment more heart-stopping uh, than Kaiser Khan, father of a slain Muslim captain soldier who died in Iraq. Uh, holding up a pocket constitution. You know, we're not big on props at this convention. We have not been over fond of them, but brandishing a pocket constitution at the camera and telling Donald Trump, and I quote, you have sacrificed nothing. That was amazing. Just a moment of like, have you read the constitution? You can borrow my copy. It was the intellectual, do you even lift, bro? It was. And it was a moment from someone who clearly is... There are certain times in which you see someone on television and you can just tell this person is painfully polite. Like, mm-hmm. this is probably the most aggressive thing he has ever done in his entire life. You can tell that he had to work himself up to saying, you know, pardon me, would you like to borrow my constitution? But by God, once he committed, he went for it. It's true. And this is someone who has, you know, he, I was doing a little bit of research and he's talked about the loss of his son before because his son saved, you know, his son went towards... Um, a car that was about to blow up and made sure his his men stayed behind him. And by doing so, he lost his life but saved the lives of like 10 to 15 other people. 
and like the bravery required for that. And you know, he mentioned talking about you know, has Donald Trump ever been to Arlington? That's where his son is buried. And actually, um, a photograph. There's of, a great photo of him yeah, standing at his son's grave. Right, and that's actually one of the moments. That's that photograph and the Muslim and the Islamophobia that we saw in 2008 is actually what caused Colin Powell to come out and meet the press and endorse Barack Obama. And so I think his story is so affecting, but that moment today was just like that. I mean, if that's not, that's an ad that you run three times a day until November. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're making jokes at Trump's expense and we're speaking about this, you know, in, in quantifiable terms, in terms of ads, but it's, it's a testament to how moving this particular story is and the tenacity of this father to just keep showing up for events like this, that, as you said, this is not a new story. You know, we've heard this story many, many times in several elections before this. This was by far the most affecting version of that story. And that is really saying something. It's very true. And just I think that that really spoke to, you know, the message that you got from this convention was that Donald Trump is unfit for service. He is unfit for this position. He's unfit to be the person to send our troops to war. And I think that what was really smart was that the DNC was, you know, you heard some of the Bernie people chanting, no more war. And I think that the DNC recognized that because it didn't really focus so much on, we want to go to war, but it's, you know, we want to do right by our veterans to, and to the people serving. And even doing so, you know, with the stories of people, like fallen police officers today. And I think that was really smart. And having um, uh, the sheriff of Dallas, who is an openly gay woman, talking about you know, police officers in the community. I think that was really smart. And that just, like we said before, the the triangulation and the pivoting to just get that that center was, I think, really well done. And they and they pivoted and found, you know, think of this as a game of red team, blue team, capture the flag. And not only did they pivot, they pivoted towards an expanse of completely open space. And I'm fascinated to see in the weeks to come uh, how the Democrats settle in occupying that shining city right and doing so in a way because the gop just gave it to them the mm-hmm. rnc was entirely about we are terrified of these other people so we're just going to stay over here mm-hmm. and us and our avocado farmers and our multi-level sales representatives and our raving lasagna of a presidential candidate we're going to be here And the DNC responded by, okay, we'll take all the rest of this. And, you know, we talk rhetorically about, you know, the GOP gave this territory up, the Democrats took it. But, you know, just stepping outside our hard-ass characters for a second, it was a really great moment to be reminded so tangibly that, no, one party does not have the market cornered on patriotism. One party does not get to lay claim to flags in the front yard and loving our troops and loving God and accepting other gods. And the past four days were such a tonic in terms of being reminded of that. I will go back to hating everything and everyone now. Exactly. And with that, I'm going to put me and Jane to our respective beds and we are going to put this mini series to bed. Uh, For both of us here in New York and from all of us here at MTV News, for our crews in Cleveland and Philadelphia, thank you for listening and stick around. I'll be back at you mere hours from now with our regular Friday episode. No sleep till November. Good night, Jane. Good night, Holly.